We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. We'll read now the reverse text for the week. Luke 12, 13 through 21, we'll read it in its entirety. So if you'll find it in your bulletin, we'll read it aloud. This then is the text for today. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. May God bless the reading of his word. I also asked David to prepare another slide from First Bank here, checking account statement. This is, as far as I know, a generic bank account statement. And I want you to see this as we work down through today's text, because often this is how adults keep score. That final number down there on the bottom, on this one we have $26,450.13. You know, a deathbed is terrifying. And a deathbed is exponentially terrifying when your family is drooling on the sheets that cover your decaying body. Some family members are waiting for you to die so that they can pull out your will without guilt. They're looking to find what treasures you have bestowed upon them. They're jumping at the chance to see the bank statement. They're jumping at the chance to thumb through these statements to divvy up your hard-earned money. You see, that's where our reverse text begins this week. A family fight over an inheritance. Someone in the crowd comes in and tries to abuse Jesus' authority by compelling Jesus, saying, Jesus, tell my brother to divide up the family inheritance with me. Now, generally, we understand that most everything in those days was left to the eldest son, and then left up to the eldest son to divide up however necessary. And this person comes to Jesus 
and tattletales on their brother. Saying, Jesus, he won't do it. Jesus, tell him in your authority to share with me. And as you do, Jesus, will you bring down the vengeance of heaven on him for not doing it sooner? Now, that's not exactly what it says. But that is certainly what we feel when our hearts imagine we have been robbed of U.S. dollars. Now, if you're the older brother in this scenario, you'd want Jesus to step in and say, well, stick with the plan. There's a plan. There's a way this works out. Get the legal entities involved that need to be and just you two work it out like it needs to be. If you're the other sibling, if you're the sibling that comes up, you want Jesus to say, right now, divide it equally. Everybody gets their fair share. But Jesus doesn't do either one of these things. In fact, Jesus uses this moment and Jesus uses this question to shine a light on the greed that engulfs our hearts. And it's nearly certain that is exactly what prompted this absurd request from the crowd. This inquiry isn't seeking justice. This was about the score. This was about the bottom line. This was an opportunity for this person to rise up in the rankings of the financial scoreboard. That this is the scoreboard and this is where I want to be on top. You see, there are certain moments in life where we, 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 across time, where our dollar score rises significantly, where you see that number at the bottom begin to grow. And these are exhilarating moments for us. It's like when you, you get a pay raise at work, you, you strut out because you just got a bump on the international U.S. dollar scoreboard. Or like our friend in the text here, out in the crowd speaking to Jesus, many people's eyes grow wide when their parents die because it can be a windfall to bump you up the scoreboard to make it a little bigger, a little better. Now, the whole book of Ecclesiastes laments money in this way. It, it gazes scarily at the eventual end of our monetary scores. Because as the book of Ecclesiastes goes, it's understood this is Solomon writing at the peak of his wealth. Solomon was one of those few across time who could just roll around in gold like Scrooge McDuck. See, he was one who had enough money to chase after every hedonistic whim that came across his mind. In fact, the, the more money, the more opportunity for these kinds of things. The more money, the more opportunity for carnal lusts. The more money, the more opportunity for indulgent leisures. And, and as it stands, Solomon did all of that. And, and eventually he breaks down it's, and he cries out, this is all meaningless. It's vanity of vanities. In fact, what we see, what we see is Solomon just rises up. He's at the very top. So if there's a financial scoreboard, number one is King Solomon. No one else above him. He re he's reached the pinnacle of it. His number at the bottom of the statement was higher than anybody else's number you could imagine. And he breaks down and says, this is all meaningless. But, you know, it wasn't the opulent waste that did him in. It isn't why he was crying all is vanity and meaningless. You see, the worst of it was that he got all the way to the top 
of the financial scoreboard, and he realized in an instant it crumbles underneath you. In fact, read with me Ecclesiastes 2. This is where he's wrestling with this. This is Ecclesiastes 2. It's going to be on the walls. Uh, 17 through 20. So, so recognize what's happening. Solomon's saying, okay, I've, I've reached the pinnacle of the financial scoreboard. And listen to this line. So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me. Because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For now I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired all of the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. He's now standing, the end of life, looking at all of it and realizing that he had worked hard to get to where he was. And, and for all of the climbing that it took for him to get to the top of this mountain of the financial scoreboard, for all of the, the work that it took to get there, now he was going to have to leave it to someone who had no idea the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that went into that fortune. They are never going to feel the weight of it because they didn't earn it. He's worried he's going to spoil his kids by giving them everything that he made. They're going to go out and blow it on lifeless things. You see, many people are left tormented on their deathbeds, worried who's going to get what and how this is dividing the family. Solomon here in Ecclesiastes is now questioning is it, is it worth it to make it to the top of the financial scoreboard? Because not only did he lose time with his kids to get there, now he's going to leave them a wealth they didn't earn as they drool over his deathbed. Now, what you see here is Jesus takes it another step for, further. So as we come back to the reverse text, Jesus, it begins in this moment of uh, receiving an inheritance. And then Jesus takes that question or that comment about the inheritance and goes further with it. See, when you die, or when Jesus comes back again, whichever is first, your bank balance goes to zero. In fact, Jesus doesn't care one cent about how much money is in your bank account. He's not worried about how well you did in the market. Your money means nothing in heaven. You know, I'm, I'm worried that many of us are going to be terribly frightened when Jesus comes. And we're not going to be frightened because of the glory of God, but many of us are going to be frightened because all of our bank accounts are going to be zeroed out to nothing. You see, when Jesus' reign takes full effect, there will be no dollars and cents. Jesus doesn't keep score in dollars and cents. And, and where Jesus is going here is you're never going to be content until you realize the financial scoreboard doesn't matter. It is all meaningless. It is vanity of vanities. It is futile. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. See, when we get distracted by the trappings of wealth, we will drift away from God and never know contentment. You know, oddly, this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4.13. 
Now, generally, when we hear that verse, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Generally, when we hear that verse, it's, it's an athlete trying to win a game or it's, it's kids trying to get through a test they didn't study for, right? We use it almost like a magic formula to call on Jesus to fix whatever is happening in our lives at the moment. But that's not what Philippians 4.13 is about. Philippians 4.13 is about money. In fact, let's look at the context. We'll read a little bit together on the screens here. This is Philippians 4.12, and then we'll go to 13. This is Paul speaking to the church. I know how to get along with humble means. He's saying, when I'm poor, there, right? I also know how to live in prosperity. I've been rich. In any and every case, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, Paul in this moment is commending the Philippians. They had sent him some cash. Paul had some churches that supported him when he was out on his missionary journeys. The Philippians sent Paul some cash to say, go use this, you, you need it. And he's, this is his thank you note. And in his thank you note, he sends out to him and he says, thank you for the cash, but, but let me tell you a deeper truth. He says, when you gave me this cash, it was good. It makes life in the world simpler because it's easier to get things done in this world when you have a little bit of cash. But he, he writes to them, he says, thank you for it, but it doesn't really matter. And so he flips the thank you note from a thank you to a warning. He says, there have been plenty of times in my ministry when I didn't have any money. In fact, even when I was poor, ministry was going fantastic. It was a beautiful thing. There was no need of money. The ministry was good. But he said, there are plenty of other times, too. I, I had lots of money, and everything was, was overflowing, and ministry was great. But what I want you to know is that it didn't matter whether there was a lot of money or a little money. That, that didn't matter. What, what mattered is who Jesus Christ was. The money never mattered to the ministry. It's nice to get things done with. But that money is of a system contrived by the world to constrict and to keep score in a way that is outside of heaven. And Jesus is reminding you, Jesus, God has a remedy for all of this. This is like every problem and every temptation that we face in our lives. God has a remedy. In fact, God has called us to reject and repent. One of the things that we need to recognize in these moments where Jesus is speaking in this parable is a call for repentance. And in that repentance, what's happening is you're saying, I'm rejecting this financial scoreboard. I'm rejecting this as a place of value and worth. I'm rejecting this as that which my life revolves around. And he says we need to reject that and repent of our love of money because in this country, a love of money is deeply ingrained in us. Make no mistake, it is our scoreboard. It is our scoreboard as a people. And Jesus is calling us to repent of that and repent of that love of money. And that looks all kinds of different ways. And there's different for each one of us. There's a couple different instances we see in Scripture. One of those is Zacchaeus himself. Luke 18, when, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, they come together, and, and Zacchaeus has this moment where he's face-to-face -face with Jesus, and his life has changed. 
And after a single encounter with Jesus Christ, what happens in Zacchaeus' life? He immediately begins to reject the financial scoreboard, and he says, I'm going to repent of all the failures that I've had in my life around money. He says, I'm going to repent of this greed that's in my life, and it plays out in a particular way. In fact, Zacchaeus says he's a part of the taxation system. And Zacchaeus says, I have defrauded many people in this town. I have stolen by taxes from many people in this town. And he says, he looks at Jesus after he meets Jesus. He says, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to change my life, and this is how you're going to see it and know it. He says, everybody in this town that I have defrauded, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. If I stole a dollar, I'm giving them $4. If I stole $10, I'm giving them $40. Everybody I stole from, I'm giving back. You see what, what Zacchaeus is doing? He's flipping the financial scoreboard on its head and says, I reject that. The money doesn't matter because I have Jesus. That's what he was saying in those moments. You see, you see a similar kind of thing with the rich young ruler when he comes to meet Jesus and he asks about salvation. And there's, there's a longer conversation there that you need to read and know. But when you get to the end... Jesus tells the rich young ruler to sell everything as if the greed was too much in his heart. And he says, you got to get rid of everything and you need to come and follow me. And he walks off. Now, these are specific instances of repentance. We might need to pray to the Lord in the same way. How might I repent of my greed and my love of money? Because it is important this day for us to lay our entire lives before Jesus and say, I surrender. I surrender all of it, even our bank statements, and repent of the days we didn't do it before, to repent of every time drool dripped off our lips at another dollar. Now, there's another process that we see through Scripture where God deals with this. Another way, an overarching way that, that we see God reject this love of money is through the tithe. Now, throughout Scripture, from Abraham on, there's a common practice to give God 10%. And the first 10%, before your own needs, before your own wants, before the government, before anybody else, God gets the first 10%. And you need to recognize something. This isn't because God needs your money. God doesn't need your money. You don't need to keep the lights on or anything like that. The, the practice of tithing is a reminder that we don't care about the world scoreboard. In fact, we reject the world scoreboard. We reject greed. We reject a love of money. And it's so hard for us even to even just give up 10% because what we see, what we know in our hearts is 10% moves us down the financial scoreboard. And if I don't take 100%, I'm not, I'm gonna, there's going to be people ahead of me I don't want ahead of me on the financial scoreboard. But God says, reject that thinking. Those who follow Jesus Christ readily give it up for God, even though that extra 10% knocks me down a rung or two on the San Antonio financial scoreboard. But what it does is it reorients my priorities towards the kingdom of God rather than whatever little kingdom I have been building. And you see, all of this is the good news. Jesus is saying, this is the good news that you need to hear. 
because you have wasted way too much time and energy worrying about bills and markets, worrying about jobs and shortfalls. God, God, God is telling us if we reject that love of money, it opens the world to us in a new way that is holy and good. And you see life differently. In fact, this is where Jesus, this is how Jesus speaks to this in the text. So, so this man comes up to Jesus, or this person comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus tells the parable. But before Jesus tells him the parable, he tells him another truth first. So listen to the first thing Jesus tells him. Well, Jesus asked the question, am I your arbiter or whatever? But then he says this, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. So what Jesus is saying, that when you're working through the financial scoreboard, and what people are saying is your life consists of your possessions, and life is about gaining more and holding more in your hands and having more possessions. And Jesus is saying this is joyless. This is hopeless. This is going to ruin you. Getting to the top of the financial scoreboard is, is going to be the ruination of you. This is not where you find joy. This is not where you you find life. Your life is found in Jesus Christ. You don't find your worth and your value on how much your paycheck is. See, you lose so much, so much sleep over a contrived system, a rigged scoreboard that's going to be incinerated whenever Jesus Christ comes back again. So come before the Lord and let him be your guide and your hope. Reject the plague of greed and surrender to Jesus this morning. Let him tend to your money. Let Jesus be your rock and your provider. You see, what Jesus is, 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 is work here and what he's telling that crowd around this moment of inheritance is he's saying, forget the inheritance. I've got a better way forward for you. I have a way forward for you that gives you access to the accounts of heaven. In fact, if you would surrender your life to Jesus, you become an heir, an heir with Christ to the eternal treasures of the throne of God. If you will reject the love of money and repent of the same, if you will surrender to Jesus, a royal inheritance awaits. Jesus says it this way. I, I want to read to you the longer context here. So reverse this week. We end in verse 21. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd with the parable. After what you see in verse 22 is Jesus then speaks to his disciples. And he, he says, this is what you need to hear. And I want you to hear what Jesus told his disciples. Because this is the word you need this morning. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, or your body as to what you're going to put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom. They have no barns. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot uh, do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon and all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Do not seek what you will eat and what you'll drink. Don't keep worrying. 
For all these things, the nations of the world, they eagerly seek them. But your Father knows that you need these things. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. If you will reject and repent of this love of money, if you will surrender to Jesus Christ, a royal inheritance awaits. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would teach us your ways, that you would focus our hearts and minds on the treasures of heaven rather than the treasures of earth. Lord, would you change how we define value? Help us to see your goodness and your holiness. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.